But what does it take to train the perfect selling technician? Find out on today's show. Now, today we've got some great content from yours truly, as well as Mr. Russ Horrocks here at EGA Contract University. We're going to dive into what it takes to become a top-performing selling technician. You're going to learn how we need to change the perception of sales for our technicians. You'll also learn that it's not all about numbers and how to be consistent over the long term. Take it away, Russ. All right, let's get started. Um, let's talk about creating the, a selling technician. It's kind of funny, and this might sounds strange to some of you unless you know me. Um, the idea of creating a selling technician is actually an idea I don't even like. <laughs> and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, you know, if you tell your technicians we want you to be selling technicians, most of them would probably say what to you? No, thank you. That's not what we want to do. That's not what we signed up for. Um, yeah, there's some out there that do like that part of it and like that, that labeling and, and, and and like that, that uh, behavior. But most technicians would say to you, I don't want to be a selling technician. I don't want the customer to ever perceive that I'm trying to sell them something. And that's why they became technicians. They wanted to work with their hands. They wanted to help people. They wanted to serve people. And so even though we title this How to Create a Selling Technician, I want to kind of change the definition of that and kind of change how we look at it. Um, I know Weldon's really big on the mindset stuff. That's also been something I focused on my entire career. Um, things are what we think they are. We make things uh, what they are based on how we perceive those things. And so if we don't get it right in our own heads, there's no way we're going to go in the home and get it right. Um, our behavior will betray us because our behavior will always reflect our true thoughts. So I want to spend a little bit of time on kind of trying to get to that place of definition, understanding about what we do, where we can all be comfortable with it. We can all go into the home, knock on the door with this extreme confidence and humility to know that we're going to be able to serve that customer to the best of our ability. So I think we have to define that to be able to do that. So um, most technicians are, like I said, mechanically in inclined. They want to go in and help and, and fix stuff, and they want to save people money, and they want to uh, you know, take care of the customer. Yet they're paid by performance, by what they sell, and they should be. Um, they're judged by the revenue that they produced. Um, they're constantly being told to sell more stuff. So that's the reality of our world. Um, I often tell technicians, just because we have matrix to look at our performance, it doesn't mean that's all we care about. It's, you know, they, I've had technicians tell me, our owner just wants to make more money. He's greedy. He keeps pushing us to sell products. And that's not what's going on. The owners have to keep a, a, a record of our performance so we can know how to train and improve. And they have to have budgetary considerations from a P&L perspective. So it's okay that they push numbers. It's okay that we keep numbers. It's okay that we quantify our performance by numbers. But what I'd like to encourage you to do is not let you think it's all about the numbers. If we do our job right, we execute to the best of our ability, the numbers will be what they should be. And they'll take care of themselves. We shouldn't be distracted by them. We shouldn't be focused on them other than to train and make sure we're trained to be the best we can be. But we shouldn't let the numbers impact us while we're actually performing. I always use this analogy with the professional athlete. They, they think about outcome to train, but they never let outcome distract them while they perform. And that's how I look at what we do as technicians, as salespeople. We think about the outcome to train. I'm super competitive. That's what has caused me to be on this 22-year journey of obsession with the whys. Of uh, you know, sitting at my, my home at midnight reading a, a, an article from Harvard about communication. That's where my obsession comes from, is that I'm super competitive. 
And I know every time I learn something, do something better, learn a technique greater, it produces better outcomes. So the outcome drives me to train. But in the actual execution, I never think outcome because that distraction will hurt the execution. And so that's what I would offer you as maybe a, a way that can help you kind of reconcile this world that we live in. How do we have these numbers quantifying interface every day, all day, but how do we go in the home and give the customer a comfortable, honest connection, a, a service mentality where the customer is taken care of in a way that they want to be taken care of and we still can produce the numbers that we want. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can walk both of these lines very, very well, but you got to get it right up here first. So that, I hope that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense yeah. to you, No, A couple of uh, big takeaways there. Number one, I just want to stress something Russ has already said. He, you know, he doesn't like that term selling technician. And I can understand why he feels that way, because it sounds, you know, like I'm going to have to be pushy. I'm going to have to be scripted. I'm going to have to be some obnoxious jerk in the home. Well, the reality is, again, I know Russ. I've been through Russ's classes. And I will tell you, he's all about the relationship and the human connection. So, you know, our perceptions are important going into this training. And I'm just telling you, by the end, you will see this is a relationship-focused, human-focused kind of training. It's not going to be about some hardcore closing techniques or anything like that. It's about building relationships, really about being high service, not high pressure. The other part I want to comment on that he mentioned is the importance of the mindset. You know, we, we talk a lot about in training uh, about what we do in the house. What are we supposed to do? You're going to find out through the course of this training, it's also really important what you're thinking, right? The good news is if you're thinking the right things and you're doing the right things on a consistent basis, you're going to produce the right results because you can't think the right things and do the right things and accidentally produce the wrong results. Life doesn't work that way. doesn't mean you might not have a short-term setback. I mean, you could be thinking the right things and doing the right thing and have a bad week or a bad month. But over the long haul, you are guaranteed to win if you're thinking the right things and doing the right things in the house. This is a very humanistic, people-to-people, belly-to-belly uh, type of teaching. It's not going to be full of tricks and uh, you know tactics and that kind of stuff. It's about relationship building and the human side. The psychology is important. Understanding why people do what they do is, as, as Russ mentioned, he's fascinated by the why. Why do people do certain things? And that's the psychology. It's important that you understand it, but it's also important that you understand this is not a high-pressure sales tactic. This is a very humanistic approach to solving problems for homeowners. Thank you, Well, Appreciate that. Um, yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Every top performer I've ever met, worked with, or helped develop, they've done it the same way. They've arrived to the exact same conclusion and the same concepts that we're sharing here today. Uh, in the selling side of this world, I kind of have a, a number I kind of think is the pinnacle of performance. It's a million dollars per hundred leads. Um, I, I don't see many people have done it. I've coached a few last year that did it. I did it myself when I was full-time. Uh, that means that you have an average of $10,000 produced for every lead that you run. And everyone I ever see hit that standard, they did it the exact same way. They learned how to connect with people. They never, ever tried to close someone. They never, ever tried to manipulate someone. They learned how to work with human nature and compel people to act. So this higher level of performance can only come from that, that understanding of how to make a true connection with people and compel them to act. Yeah, you can sell people stuff, but that's limited. When you can compel people, that's when you break that limitation of performance and you can go to whatever level of performance that you're capable of. So that's what we're talking about. Thank you for your input, Weldon. Exactly. We don't have to manipulate people. The information is powerful enough on its own. 
if we let the information talk in, in a way where people will actually hear it. So we're gonna talk a lot about you know, making uh, comments to customers, statements to customers, questions where people are engaged and they wanna answer, they wanna hear, they wanna listen, they wanna believe. So we have this kind of paradox that, that exists in the world of technician selling. Um, and it prevents a lot of them from being effective. They're being told to sell, but they don't want to sell. So how do we solve that? And so I think we have to redefine then what is their job. You know, the basic tenets of what attracted them to the profession is being compromised when they're told to sell, sell, sell. Again, it's, it's not really what they're being told, that's just how they're interpreting what the owners are saying by keeping score, by having KPIs and metrics to judge our performance. Okay, so um, I think because of this, I find, I, I, you know, going throughout companies from all over the country, I find um, companies where they've said to me, Russ, you're the fifth person we brought in in the last two years. I'm like, well, what are you looking for? You know, they keep going from process to process and trainer to trainer because they're looking for that magic bullet to solve this paradox. And all they're doing is finding somebody else teaching their guys how to be high-pressured people, and this paradox is never solved. And so the people, the, this, the technicians push back, it doesn't work, and the owner goes to the next trainer, goes to the next idea and concept. And I see that everywhere I go. I ask people in my classes, how many times have you gone to training? Sometimes people say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different times, and ten different philosophies and ideas, and ten different presenters. And, and I think if we don't fundamentally solve this paradox, you're going to be in that cycle of never finding something that works for you. So passion is produced. Uh, pa I'm sorry. Passion <laughs> always produces better results. Uh, uh, last time, if you were in, a, in the event last time, I had an eye problem. Uh, this time, I'm a few weeks out of COVID, and I've got a fried voice. So um, I apologize up front if you hear some crackling or some, some, some struggle with my voice. Um, so passion always produces better results. Where does passion come from? Well, it comes from loving what you do. It doesn't necessarily have to be what you want to do. It's loving what you do. Um, if you watch that... that um, um, Mike Rowe does a great video on talking about don't pursue your passion, find opportunity to bring your passion with you. And uh, I, I love that statement because I ask in my training, I get 80 guys in a room and say, how many are in this industry and in this room today because you followed your passion, you followed your dreams? And not one hand goes up. And I said, great, we're all here for the same reason then, <laughs> by accident or happenstance. But it doesn't mean we can't be passionate. Passionate is a decision. It's a way of being. It's not something that you find. And if we do something with passion and there's opportunity, we can do it at a high level and we can love what we do. So I bring this up because as a technician, if you go to every single home with the idea, having made the choice that you have opportunity and you're going to love what you do, how do you think that's going to translate to the consumer? What are they going to see from you? If you think that way and believe that way, you're going to act that way and they're going to love that and they're going to feel confident. They're going to be glad that you're in their home and you're going to be so much better able to communicate had you gone in there with, I'm just a technician. This is just a stop, stopping ground or a stepping stone into what I really want to do. If you have any of that attitude creeping in, you will never be good at this. It will always betray you in the home. So you need to love what you do, what you're doing now, and do it the best you can for your own happiness, for your own personal growth, and to be the best at what you can do. Well, and I see you anxious. I, I think you want to add something. Well, I just think it's such an important point. I love the way you phrase that. You know, find an opportunity to bring your passion with you. And I was thinking back to when I got in this business 20 years ago. Uh, if some of you may be familiar with my story, I've written several books. And one of those books is about my personal story, a little book called The Upside of Fear. And I talk about, you know, I was 40 years old, 39 years old, living in a homeless shelter. 
and uh, had a, a very a lot of struggles for the previous 25 years. And I was out knocking on doors for six months, and I finally found a job in a heating and air conditioning company. Now, I, I never saw that in my future. I was looking for any kind of opportunity, as Russ mentioned. But when I got that opportunity, I decided very quickly that I want to be the very best at it that I can be. I'd like to be a top producer. If I'm going to do something, I want to be the very best at it. Since then, I've written books and done speaking for 20 years. I want to be really good at it, right? So, you know, being really good at something is a noble calling regardless of what you're doing. The key is to be the very best that you can be. And I'll never forget, I went out and had less than a week of training in this industry, had no idea what I was doing. It was in July of 2003. So it was summertime, so it was busy here in Colorado. But I went out and sold $149,000 of air conditioners in my very first month in this business and made something like $12,000, $13,000 in commissions, right? So it changed my life. And 20 years ago, I've never looked back since then I've owned, as I mentioned, a half a dozen companies. I've been speaking, training, consulting, and writing in the industry for a long time. So I, I really think that's an important point that, you know, not a lot of us, you know, at 10 years old, when somebody said, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be an HVAC technician or a comfort advisor or an installer. It's probably not what we're thinking. Maybe if our dad was in the business, maybe so. But for many of us that are first generation HVAC, you know, it probably wasn't the thing we were thinking at 10 years old. But the bottom line is, you know, life presents opportunities. And sometimes they're not the exact opportunities that we expect. The key is to find the opportunity, as Russ said, and bring the passion with you. If you're going to do this thing, be the very best. I will tell you that I went from being broke and homeless and living on the streets to earning millions of dollars in this industry in the last 20 years because I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be the very best. So I think that's a personal decision. It's a personal challenge that if you're going to be in it, be all the way in it. So uh, I think a couple of great points, Russ. Yeah, thank you, Alan. I love that. Um, I, I've tried to pass it on to my children. You know, when they do anything around the house, um, I will look at it and say, look, that represents who you are. And that was horrible. Mm -hmm. I'd rather <laughs> you not even done it than try. You know? I, I remember one time with my son, he's 29 now. When he was about, I don't know, 13 or 14, he was working at our HVAC company uh, during that summer. And uh, we're out in the shop one day and I, I walked in one day, I saw him out there, he was talking to some installers. I said, son, you know, one day this will all be yours. He's like, dad, I don't want it. <laughs> He saw the brain damage that I was going through. He decided to go to University of Colorado and study music instead. But, you know, whatever it is you're into, whatever opportunity you have, yeah. you got to be the very best. Yeah. And I love that. I, I was a pre-med student when I stumbled into this industry and uh, wasn't looking for it, but I found opportunity in it. And uh, one thing my dad did was teach me how to work, work hard. And, and uh, I found in this industry my passion. Uh, now I have so much passion for it, but that's not what got me here. So I bring that up because loving what you do and the way you do it is so integral to being good at it. You can't be good at this if you tell yourself every day, I have to go out and do this stupid job I don't like. And so I hope you're all here to try to get better at what you do. I hope you're here listening and taking this time out of your life because you want to get someplace different than you are today. You want to see a better version of yourself. So it's got to start up here in the choices that you make and how you look at what you do. So we have to solve this problem. We have to encourage technicians to sell but not to sell, <laughs> that makes sense. So how do we solve this paradox? Working with technicians, their natural strengths and instincts, making sure they don't feel like they're compromising how the customers look at them and that they look at them through a trusting lens that their technician's not there to take advantage of them. How do we solve this? So I think we redefine it by kind of saying, um, you know, selling is an outcome focused behavior. It's obvious to your customer. 
And if you go in there with the desire to sell, they're going to know it, they're going to see it, they're going to feel it, and many of them will push back against it. Okay, we don't want to do that. Selling puts you out of alignment with your customer. You're not listening to them. You're not hearing them. You're not understanding what they really want to accomplish because you have your own agenda. If you're going with the mindset of selling, it contaminates any information you have because now the customer sees behind the information agenda. And then you now go, okay, he's got an agenda. He clearly wants me to do this. Um, he benefits from it financially. Ah, And then they start to doubt the information. Okay, So selling places pressure on you and your customer. If you feel pressure, they feel way more than you feel. And that's another thing as a technician. If you ever feel an ounce of pressure, you're doing it wrong. If your customer ever feels an ounce of pressure, you're doing it wrong. When I go into homes, I never feel an ounce of pressure, and neither does my customer. You don't have to. It doesn't produce good results because it triggers all of these outcomes. So that's not the environment of success we're looking for. So how do we reconcile this paradox? How do we figure this out? Well, let's just simply call it success in the home. Not technician selling, just as a technician, what determines if you're successful in that capacity in the home? What does it mean? What does it mean to have success in the home? Well, let's understand what your brand is. Your brand is, um, you know, could be lots of things, but I think the thing I love the, the most, that's the simplest, that encompasses everything, is the customer experience. That's your brand. I spoke at an event in Hawaii last month, and I, uh, I talked to a man at dinner one night, uh, an owner of a company in Northern California, and um, I, I could tell by talking to him, this was a really good man. I, I knew he pro you know, probably ran a great company with a great culture. So that night, I researched his company. And the next day in my presentation to the group, I put reviews from his company all up on two massive screens to share with the group, and, and I, I did that to prove a point. I said, not one of your reviews talked about a piece of equipment, a product, or a service. Every one of your reviews talked about a person. Talked about Michelle. Talked about Brad. Talked about, you know, Jimmy. That is what people look at you as, is your brand, is the people that you send into their homes. Not one review mentioned a product or service. And it's important to understand that. That's where customer loyalty comes from, the experiences we give customers. That is your brand by definition. If a friend comes over and says, hey, I, I saw that truck in your, your, your driveway the other day, what'd you think? I don't say, well, an iWave is really awesome. I say, well, Tim was fantastic. The guy was quality, he didn't pressure me, he was informed, he was exactly what I expected and hoped he'd be. It was absolutely amazing. You've gotta call that company and you've gotta ask for Tim. Now, if I didn't like Tim, what did that sound like? You know, Weldon, I'd shop around with you. Right. He was fine, he did the job, but you know what? Wasn't the kind of experience I'd recommend to my buddy over here. So yep. you, know, you could call them, but make sure you call a few other people. You know, th this is something we preach, I preach night and day at our company. And I was so proud just uh, a week or so ago, you know how the, the neighborhood app, whatever it's called, it's, I don't know what it is. It's, it's an app that tells you what's going on in your neighborhood yeah, yeah, and different yeah. things. And there's a company here in town that unfortunately for them has a very bad reputation um, and for being high pressure and that type of thing. And it's not uncommon that a thread will start about this company in our neighborhood. And last week, one started, and somebody had a very bad experience. And then people start chiming in, like, yeah, they had this bad experience. And it's just, you know, it's just slamming this company, slamming this company. But then people started saying, you should try this company. You should try that company. And our company was mentioned half a dozen times by different people, right? Because I live in that neighborhood, and we do a lot of work in that neighborhood. We market in that neighborhood. And I was just like, you know, with every post, like, I'm like, just nervous because what if they say something bad about it? what if our guys did something and I was just so proud of our guys so I took it in to our next meeting and shared it with them and 
you mentioned this earlier. We measure the numbers. The numbers are important. What gets measured gets done, all, all that kind of stuff. But the numbers tell me part of the story. They don't show me a person's character. Uh, they don't show me the, the, the unmeasurables that happen in the house, you know, doing, uh, you know, a good deed for a homeowner, uh, doing something really wonderful for a homeowner. You know, those things are impossible to measure, although we do measure uh, the good deeds in our company as well. It's difficult, uh, but we do measure it. But those referrals you're talking about are so important. Uh, we talked about this when you were here last time. 85% of people say they put as much confidence in an online review as they would a referral from a friend. That's how much credibility these online reviews have. And frankly, sometimes it's not dessert, right? They, they could be a competitor or somebody just with a bone to pick. But people have that kind of confidence in these reviews. So those reviews will be a, a reflection of the customer experience people receive from you. Uh, I encourage you to monitor, monitor them closely, uh, preach it, teach it in your company. Everybody needs to understand how important it is and encourage them. And as we do, we compensate our guys for the number of you know, positive reviews they get in different things. We have competitions every month because it's so important. That customer experience is the key to the kingdom uh, in terms of success in our business. Awesome content right there from Mr. Russ Horks, as always. Now, if you like this episode, share it on Facebook. And if you want to unlock more premium training content to take your business to the next level, click on the link in the Facebook post for a 30-day free trial. That's it for this week, folks. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.